0: Well, hello, everyone, and it is a great day. I love to start a new study, and today we start the book of Ephesians. We have finished Acts, and if you haven't finished Acts, I hope and pray that you will go back, and Acts was a fabulous book, and it kind of sets the tone, because as we ended with Acts chapter 28— we left paul in prison there for another 2 years under house arrest and it is there that he wrote the book of ephesians and and paul he loved the church of ephesians and he of the ephesians he loved ephesus and so um It is such a marvelous study, and I know you will will enjoy it as much as I did. So would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for this study. Lord, we are so grateful how you put the pieces together and how, as Paul taught the people of Ephesus. Father, we just pray that we see that these are words for us to learn from as well. Lord, we give you praise and glory for who you are, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. So this is in my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. Now, there's something about this book of Ephesians, some of Paul's letters, um, talk about a particular problem or there's something going on in the church that needs to be dealt with. Well, in this particular letter, he is writing to the people of of Ephesus and he is not writing because of, of a problem, but what he's doing, and I thought I saw this very interesting that he explains, he explains Christianity. He kind of um, keeps them excited and it is a treasure chest. The more you dig in, the more you learn, the more you grow, the more you mature. And this is what Paul wants for this church. He wants them to be maturing and growing. And as you will see in the later verses here, that he wants them to know their Savior better. And that takes work and effort and instruction. And so he is instructing them how to learn Learn more from from this treasure chest of Christianity, the the God's word having just endless amount of well, it's so it's so uplifting. It just kind of keeps you motivated. And now Paul loved the people of Ephesus. He loved going to Ephesus. In fact, he went there on his third missionary journey, and then. He left and then went back again, and he stayed there approximately from what I could see. He was there oh between three, three, and a half years and When we did Acts chapter nineteen and twenty that was that was um, the time when Paul was in. Ephesus, and much happened there. In fact, I'm just going to go back a little bit and kind of help you remember, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, Paul was there, and he, well, the same thing, he spoke boldly, and and of course he did, because he was so, remember how we've talked about, he's just 100% sold out to the gospel message. Paul being very religious, he used to be very religious, and but once Jesus got a hold of him on that road to Damascus, and he is now indwelt with God's spirit, he is a different man he's a different preacher his his whole his whole passion for ministry is different he cares for the souls of these people he realizes that the message of the gospel is Jesus and so he speaks boldly but then again over and over we see how People have a choice. When they hear the gospel, they can choose to believe it or they can choose to refuse. And here we see the word obstinate. The people, um, the Jews there, when Paul went into the synagogue, he spoke boldly to them. And maybe some did believe, but but the majority of them refused to believe. And they publicly they publicly maligned the way of Jesus. They they didn't want to believe that Jesus was the Messiah because, typically, he wasn't the king anticip- they anticipated him to be. They so wanted their freedom to be earthly. They wanted their freedom to be free from Roman rule. And they wanted a king that would free him from that. Where Jesus' freedom is so much different and so much greater, but they wouldn't—they wouldn't. It was their choice, and they would not understand it. They didn't want to. It's just like they plugged their ears. Well, in in the book of um, Acts, chapter 19, Paul is well. He just takes the message out of the synagogue and then brings it into a lecture hall and he he stayed there daily he would lecture in the hall and he would teach the gospel and he would he would grow the people and mature them and that went on for 2 years in fact there were many believers then as paul was persistent and consistent and and then it's in this town of ephesus that paul Ran into, I should say he kind of ran into some Jews who went around trying to drive out evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus. They would listen to Paul, think that they, all they had to do was say the words, and that they could they could bring out evil spirits, people in people. And and there was the seven sons of Sceva. They were the sons of the Jewish high priest, And these seven sons were going about trying to bring out evil spirits from people using the name of Jesus. Well, I'm as the Lord would have it. I mean, you know, sometimes you, you think that you're getting away with it or, or they, they had no idea what they were doing, but Jesus certainly did. And one day, the evil spirit that they were trying to drive out in a man talked. That evil spirit spoke up and said, Jesus, I know, I know about Paul, but you, I don't know. And then the man who was, who had the evil spirit in him, he jumped those seven men and and just overpowered them, beat them to a pulp, so that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, if it wasn't so serious, I think that visual just kind of makes me laugh a little bit, because, you know, when are people going to learn that God is sovereign, God is real, God is all powerful, and sin will be dealt with and this flippant attitude of Jesus name, using Jesus name, is not gonna be able to continue. Well, when the when the people saw this, I mean obviously can you imagine this story just just you know went all over town the Jews and the Greeks living all over Ephesus they heard the story and they were seized with fear but one really good thing came from that is that they started to realize that the name of Jesus is not something to play with the name of Jesus is powerful the name of Jesus is above all names We know that Paul wrote in one of his letters that someday to that very name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he definitely is Lord. And another thing that happened was that people who played around with sorcery and they they practiced it, they came and they brought all their scrolls and they made a big fire and they burned them all. So all of that. Go back in Acts 19 and kind of reread that. And then also in chapter 19, there was that riot. And, um, and it all had to do with, with money. These two men were making these little gods of Aramis, Artemis. And, and because people were starting to really believe in the one and only true God, then they weren't buying these little... Idols of Artemis, and so these two men, of course, their business was was sinking, and of course, then they they got everybody riled up about the fact that that Paul was was um, bad mouthing, and he convinced them, and that Paul was in the wrong, and and, and so they all. Got together and they started shouting because you know sometimes that kind of that kind of uh, talk and that that just kind of got them all riled up and so now we've got a big crowd that are furious and they're shouting greatest Artemis of the Ephesians and soon see how it just keeps building, growing, and ballooning. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. And so then they, this riot starts. and See, all of this happened in this beloved city of Ephesus. And, and Paul had started a church there. He had spent over three years there. He was watching many of the people grow and mature and change because of the Holy Spirit in them. And then then we then then we read that that Paul now feels like he's got to write this letter because you know when he wanted to go back but yet he was on his way back to Jerusalem and he didn't have time to really go back to Ephesus so then he he met with the elders who met him where he was and there he instructed in Acts chapter twenty he instructed those elders how to keep that church growing and and he really gave them points on how to lead that church so you could just tell there was so much information when I went back and I I saw how much that that church meant to Paul so now he's writing this letter and he he well he's cherishing these people and he right, he starts the letter by saying, "Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God." He knew, he knew that that his whole ministry was based on on the call of Jesus. Way back in Acts chapter nine and now later when paul would give his testimony he would say that jesus had told him that he would be the apostle to the gentiles and that and that he would go to rome and and that he would he would have a a ministry to these gentiles and so he knew that he wasn't doing this just solely because he wanted to. There's a whole difference in whether you're doing something because you want to or because God has called you. And that in turn makes you want to. But it's a whole, it's all about God instead of yourself. And Paul knows that his ministry is totally based on God's call, God's will in his life. So that's how he starts. Can you just picture him? He's under house arrest, and and we know that that they allowed people to come and visit him. But I'm sure there wasn't visitors every day. And then he would sit down, and he would probably ponder these churches and remember all what had gone on there. And and he wanted them so much to continue to build and and to know Jesus better. So instead of feeling sorry for himself that he couldn't go there anymore, there he is writing a letter. And what a lesson that is for us. We've said it over and over in these last weeks, is that Paul made the most of every opportunity. And even writing letters, sharing his heart, expressing what he has learned and what he wants them to know. He sits and writes them a letter and he calls them saints. He says to the saints in Ephesus. Now, a saint is a Christian. A saint is a believer, a follower of Jesus. Sometimes we misunderstand the word saints so we don't want to classify ourselves as saints because we think, well, obviously it's, someone who's perfect and but a saint is well you a christian can be a sinner and a saint we are sinners but we're saved by grace by the blood of jesus and when we become a believer and a follower of jesus we then can say that we are a saint now all humans are sinners but not all humans are saints. It all has to do with your heart condition. It all has to do with your belief and are you following the Savior. A saint is not someone who has done wonderful things or heralded as one by church, by church or organization. I know that and I I don't mean any disrespect to our Catholic friends but we have to understand that sainthood has, has nothing to do with wonderful things that we have done it has to do with the wonderful thing that Jesus has done in our life that makes us a saint so those who belong to Jesus. So if somebody ever asked you and you know that you are a believer and you're a follower and you belong to Jesus, then you, without embarrassment, without being shy about it, because you know what Paul means when he, when he addressed to the church of Ephesus, to the saints, to the believers, to the faithful, when he used the word faithful, he knew that they were remaining loyal and steadfast to the name of Jesus. They, were, they wanted more. They, they learned. They were willing to be taught. They were faithful to the cause of Christ. So these first sentences are just not mere introduction the way Paul spells it out just really shows what this church meant to him, but also what this church has become. Now, we also know, though, that when he continues in verse 2, he says, Grace and peace to you. Paul used those words a lot grace and peace. He understood grace because he knew what he was and he knew what Jesus, in salvation, had done for him. And it wasn't something he deserved or earned. So he understood that that grace, salvation, was undeserved but was freely, lavishly given to him. And he also knew that once you've experienced that that freedom in Christ, that salvation in Christ, that forgiveness in Christ, you find that peace just follows. The two just go hand in hand. Once you start to really grasp what grace has done, And that nothing or no one can change that in your life. That no matter what happens in life, that's why the peace comes. Because grace should be an ultimate. That should be something that you and I are most thankful for. No matter what can be happening around us or to us in this life, the thing that really matters Is that we've been saved by grace. And nothing can change that. And then the peace, the assurance that we have. And that's why Paul says grace and peace to you. Because those two things come from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So that was his intro. And that intro to me spoke volumes. And then, starting verse three, I think this is really what Christianity looks like. And now we need to go back to these verses continuously because these next verses will continually remind you of who you are in Christ's. What you continually have because of Christ, and it keeps you fresh and alive and excited about the name of Christ, and your whole life takes on a whole new a new fervor I mean you have a whole nother purpose, and you know your worth. You have somebody who is willing to leave heaven to come and die for you and then conquer death and then go back to heaven to prepare a place for his children. If we continually go through these next verses, it will keep us fresh and alive. Now I couldn't help but go to Revelation chapter 2 because Ephesus was one of the seven churches that Jesus told John to write a letter to. And at first, when you read the letter that John wrote, the words of Jesus, Jesus talking to this particular church, you would just, you would just think that this church was doing everything right. Listen to how it goes in, in chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. See, once not you think, wow, this church is really doing everything right until you get to verse 4 and it starts with yet. Jesus says to this church, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken. You've forsaken. It's like that was your choice. You didn't lose it. You just chose to forsake it. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So what is Jesus saying? What is so important to Jesus that that this church was doing so many good things right. But they were missing the mark. They had lost their excitement. They lost their freshness. They lost that sparkle. And so when I go back to Ephesians 1.3 and I read the next verses, I'm thinking they must have read Paul's letter and then put it away. Because you can't possibly read these verses and not remember from what you came from and what you have now. And it's only because of a Savior. When you lose your excitement, when you start getting to too um, lackadaisical, maybe even lazy. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're doing, you're really busy, busy doing a lot of good things in the church. You're doing a lot of good things that, that from, the, from the outside, I mean, you're doing it for Jesus, yes, but he can see your heart and he can see the attitude in which you're doing them. And when we lose that that punch, that sparkle, that excitement, that's very concerning to Jesus. If we start getting bored, if we lose that fire, he says, remember when you first came to know Christ? Remember what it felt like when you knew that your sins had been forgiven. Where is that? Where is that now? You're just kind of taking it for granted. So as I read these verses, you can just hear Paul saying, this is the crux of the matter. This is who we are, and we should be praising the Lord. We should never lose our freshness and our aliveness. So when he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. See, what happens to humans so easily is our eyes come off the spiritual blessings and our eyes get on physical blessings, earthly blessings. And Paul is trying to get the people of Ephesus, you and I, to see that real blessings The blessings that really count for all eternity are blessings that come from above. They're called spiritual blessings. And they only come because of Christ and what he has done. Because look at verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Before sin came into the world, it was God's plan that we Well, he said he he chose us even before the creation of the world. And he created us to be holy and blameless. Like when you read Genesis 1 and 2. To have that beautiful, perfect relationship in in a beautiful, perfect world. To be able to walk with God. That's the way God intended it. But he gives man a choice. And because we know that sin came into the world because of man's choice, that sin changed everything. But he did not give up on us. He chose a nation. And that nation is the Jewish nation, the Israelites. He chose that nation to bring a Savior through. The whole Old Testament is the story of Jesus before he actually came. The whole Old Testament is the promise that man would be bought back. And then when Jesus came and went to the cross and fulfilled the Father's plan, And then as we have seen how how when the Jews didn't believe, God raised up Paul to bring the gospel to the Gentiles so that then we now can be adopted into the family of God. That's why we know why Paul says whether you're Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, male or female, When we come to the cross of Christ and realize our salvation, we then are adopted into God's family. It is no longer Jew or Gentile. It's God's family. And that's what what Paul says was, in his love, he predestined. he He predestined us to be adopted as his sons, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. See, it could have and should have been the end when man chose sin. But because of his love, his idea was to bring us all back into the fellowship with him, that we can be adopted in his family that is what gives him pleasure. That is his choice and will. He chose to bring everyone into a, back into a relationship. And Paul goes on to say that was, that was his pleasure and that was his will to the praise of his glorious grace. He didn't have to. It's because he loved us so much and didn't want to leave us lost and doomed. And by his glorious grace he has freely given us how did he give us that glorious grace? In and through the one he loves. Jesus. His son. In him, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. There's that word again. We have redemption. We have forgiveness. And it's all according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. Now, he wants us to be wise. He wants us to understand. Now, how do you and I become wise and how do we truly understand Well, he's given us his word, and then he also, on the day of our salvation, gave us his Holy Spirit, which we're going to see in the 13th verse. But in these verses, starting with 3 through 12, he wants you and I to see all what we have in Christ Jesus. And another couple of the greatest blessings are we can have wisdom and understanding. Not because we're so smart, it's because he has given us his very spirit to take his word and make it clear. Wisdom, well, you know, there's really two kinds of wisdom. There's heavenly wisdom, and there is earthly wisdom. And Jesus' brother, James, wrote very clearly about that. In fact, James, James in chapter 3 wrote that there are two kinds of wisdom. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. See, wisdom is information that you take in. And that information can be worldly, earthly information. But then what you take in is what will then come out of your life and he is James is trying to get very clear about if you are constantly just taking in earthly wisdom you're just listening to people's opinion and all the news and and you kind of put aside the promises of God you kind of put aside his word And you find yourself getting all worked up because you're taking in this earthly wisdom. And if you start to see yourself being self-consumed and you find you get confused and there's disorder, I think it's very clear. We're all taking in information. But every now and then, we have got to stop and say and look and think all the information that we're taking in, where is it coming from? If it's just coming from other people and from television and internet, and then maybe we shouldn't be surprised when we start to see that We're harboring bitterness and envy and we find that we're more selfish in our hearts. James goes on in verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial, and sincere. See, when you are taken in God's words, God's wisdom, Solomon, when he wrote the book of Proverbs, he called godly wisdom. Are you going to take in godly wisdom or are you going to choose to listen to God's spirit and his godly wisdom or are you going to choose to listen to and Solomon called it folly. In whichever wisdom you are taking in, whatever information you're going to take in, it is going to show itself in your demeanor, in your character, in your actions. So when Paul is talking In this letter to the Ephesians, he's saying that God's grace is lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding because we have his word, we have his spirit. Are we taking in the heavenly wisdom that he's given us? Verse 9, back in chapter 1 of Ephesians, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. I think verse 9 is a verse that just gets bigger and better the, the more you grow in God's word. The more that the Holy Spirit can help you recall what you've learned. You find that he made known to us the mystery, the mystery of his astounding love, love that can ever be separated from us. The mystery that He would love sinners like you and me. The more we understand Jesus, the more this mystery becomes clear and clear. He wants us to keep growing in that knowledge, in that wisdom. That pleases him. Because then he knows that the more we get to know him, we will see less and less of our own self and more and more of Jesus' character in us. Because in Romans, Paul wrote this too, in Romans 8, 28 and 29, we can know that in all things he's working for the good of those who love him. To those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29 tells us that his purpose for his children is to turn us into the likeness of his Son. So you can tell that it pleases Him. And it is, that he is the mystery of His will that we turn out to be more and more like Jesus. And to think that that's possible because of all the things He's given us. Verse 10, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, it's very clear. He's saying, hang on. Hang on to verses 3 through 9. Because there's going to be a culmination. It's all going to be worth it. When evil is banished, and we are, we as one family are all together, he brings all things, like Revelation 21 says, we'll be a part of a new heaven and a new earth. We'll all be together under one head, even Christ, because it was because of what Jesus Christ did for us that we are even able to have this eternal life in our new heavenly home. In him, in Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined, predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He intended, in fact, I went back to Romans chapter 2. And to me, this helped me to understand so clearly what Paul is trying to say here. Romans 2 verse 6, God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. And according to Paul, who does good, God's definition of good is when you choose to trust and believe and follow his son and come to the cross and repentance. That's what doing good means to God. So to those who've done good, first the Jew and then the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism this offer of salvation this gospel message after going through every word of acts it is very clear that this gospel is for everyone he was his it was his desire he had to create this ahead of time that all of us would come to that saving relationship. But as Paul wrote in Romans 2, and what we saw through Acts, there will always be some that won't believe. In order, verse 12, that we who were the first to open Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Paul knows that that he was probably one of the first. As the disciples were dispersed, as the apostles were dispersed from first Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Paul knew this was brand spanking new. He knew that he being converted on that road to Damascus. He knew that he was one of the first to really understand this hope in Christ. And he was to take this hope to the world so that, that God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, might be praised. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ. So Paul says, Now to you, Ephesians, I came and I spent over three years with you. Daily, daily, I kept making sure you understood that you too, because this invitation is for all, you also were included in Christ. But you see, this is the formula. There is no other formula. There is no other way. There are no other terms. Ephesians 1.13 is spelled out by Paul. He's saying, it had to happen to the apostles. It had to happen to me. And now we're taking this message to you. And these are the terms. You are also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. See, that's why Paul went on his missionary journeys. That's why he would go to every city. That's why he'd go back to cities. That's why now he's writing letters. He wants to make sure that everyone hears the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. That's the first step. You've got to hear the terms. Salvation is possible through Jesus, through his blood, through his resurrection, by your humbly coming to the cross, admitting that you need a savior, and believing with your heart and saying it with your mouth, that Jesus is the one and only Lord. He is in all, He's over all, He's through all. Salvation is found in none other. When you hear the word of truth, Paul goes on to say, then you have to decide what you're going to do with it. He is saying, having believed, Because you first have to hear it, then you've got to decide, am I going to believe or not? Now Paul, the way he's saying it here is, of course you're going to believe. Who wouldn't? But there are some, unfortunately. But when you hear the gospel of salvation, the word of truth, and you choose to believe it, you are then marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit who used to be whispering in your ear because that's the Holy Spirit's number one job is to whisper the word of truth, the gospel of salvation in your ear. And when you say yes to that, Message. The Holy Spirit then takes resonance inside of you. He's no longer just uh, sitting on your shoulder, whispering in your ear. Now, because you've said yes, the Holy Spirit now lives within you. You are marked because you see this Holy Spirit now starts his second job, and that is to turn us into the likeness of Jesus. He will will take the word of God and he will start making it wise to us. He will start making it understandable. It will make sense. We will hunger and thirst for more. And we're marked with that seal because it's so obvious when we become Christ, when we become a part of His family, when we become a Christian, when we become a saint, the Holy Spirit is now taking self away and replacing it with Jesus. So that mark, we are marked in him and we're sealed. No one or nothing can take him away from us. And this Holy Spirit will constantly be reminding us that we are guaranteed a future life. If ever you said, there's got to be more to life than this. When you have followed these terms, the Holy Spirit will say, you aren't kidding, there is. You now have grace and peace in you. You have the truth in you. You've got the Spirit producing fruit new fruit that's coming out of you that people can't help but notice. And all of this is a guarantee that not only are you experiencing abundant life, but you are going to experience eternal life with Jesus. When that day happens, and we will be with Him forevermore. The Holy Spirit is our deposit, guaranteeing us. So we never have to doubt, we never have to question. You can sing Blessed Assurance every day of your life. You can sing perfect submission, all is at rest because I am my Savior. We're happy and blessed. I'm watching and I'm waiting and I'm looking above because I have been guaranteed an inheritance to not only be a part of His family now, but forever. He goes on to say our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Verses 3 through 14, if we would read that before we would start every day, we would stay fresh and alive in Christ. We'd be able to handle Life because we would be listening to heavenly wisdom instead of earthly wisdom. We would be experiencing His grace. We would be experiencing the knowledge of knowing that we are God's pleasure. When was the last time you thought that? That you thought that God, through the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you were his pleasure. You are worth it. This is why Paul starts this letter and he's sitting there in prison and he says, I don't want you to forget all who you are and what you have. In Christ Jesus, that your future is so secure. Verse fifteen for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, ever since I heard about... You know what that says? It says that it's noticeable. People saw it in this church of Ephesus. People were watching this church and they saw that they lived out their faith. They were sold out to what they believed. They were not easily swayed. They were faithful, loyal, and steadfast. Their faith in one Savior. The power of God's Spirit was working through every one of them, and it was noticeable. They were living out their faith. In fact, I looked at that and I thought, they were doing exactly what Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? In Mark chapter 12, Jesus answered the question by saying, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, because then it will come out of you. And the second commandment is like unto it, you will love your neighbor as yourself. You take in the love of Jesus and out of the love of Jesus coming out of you, you love others. It's noticeable when we follow the terms and we let Jesus work through us so that we work it out in our love to others. That's why he says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. If you think Paul is feeling sorry for himself as he's writing this letter because he can't go there, you are so mistaken. I can just envision Paul writing this, and he is so excited because this church is doing what they are supposed to be doing. And he says, I have not stopped giving thanks. And I remember you every day in my prayers. I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. See, he goes back to that subject again. See, what Paul is trying to teach them and us is that you can read verses 3 through 14 and you can be excited and it can be glorious and it's wonderful but if you don't keep it up you will then start taking in more and more information of the world and you will start seeing more and more effects and results of the world more and more self consumed so paul says you're so you're doing so good and i've heard i've heard about it and i want you to know that i pray for you every day and i pray that and i just keep asking god to keep showing you this same truth over and over See, and as I shared with you of Revelation 2, see, when they didn't go over it over and over, maybe they started getting lax. Maybe they thought they had it. Maybe they didn't realize it took work every day. But they were losing it. And eventually this church lost it and their lampstand was taken away because they wouldn't repent. What a difference between when Paul wrote this to this church versus when John sent the letter of Jesus to them in Revelation 2. This is how subtle it can happen. That's why Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I want you to keep knowing him more and more and better and better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. See, the more that the eyes of your heart. Remember, we've been talking about that, that when the Holy Spirit comes into our our life, he then gives us another pair of eyes and ears. And we can see and hear beyond what anything physical could do. So Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that it will keep shining brighter and brighter in order that you may know what three things. That you will never forget the hope to which you were called. He has called you to live in hope. Not hopelessness. But in hope. So may your heart be enlightened so that you may continuously be remembering That you've been called into hope, live in hope. Second, that that you that your heart will be enlightened so that you understand more and more about the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. That you that you will never forget that there is so much more coming. We have so much to hang on to here because we know what's going to happen in our future. But if we take our eyes off the truth, the word of truth, if we don't keep the the eyes of our heart enlightened, it will go right back to this world. So he says, first of all, I want you to keep remembering the hope in which you live. I want you to constantly be remembering how much you have a glorious inheritance waiting for you. And he also says, and I never want you to forget his incomparably great power that is in you. He has incomparably great power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that works within us. So when we feel defeated and discouraged, and we feel down and in despair, and we have no strength, weak and weary. He's saying maybe the eyes of your heart need to be enlightened more. Go back to verses 3 to 14 so that the actions then can be renewed and come out of you. That you can be reminded of who you are, Christ Jesus, and live like it. Then he goes on in verse 20. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given Not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. We said this already in this lesson. There is no greater name than the name of Jesus. Paul is trying to say keep picturing Jesus in glory. He's been raised from the dead, he's seated at the Father's right hand in the heavenly realms. And his name and his rule is above every name. So when you get discouraged about government and all the things that we hear about, the way our world is going, be careful of how much earthly wisdom you take in and replace it with the heavenly wisdom, the word of truth. And remember in verse 22, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And the church is you and I, the saints. And God the Father placed Jesus To be the head over all of the church which is his body. We are all a part of his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Do you really believe that Jesus is your everything? Everything. Have you said, oh, yes, he is my all in all, but I also need this? Maybe you've gone to the point where you said, yes, he is my all in all, and you've stopped saying the words, but it's still in your mind. You still need. Just remember, Paul wants the people of Ephesus He wants you and I, as we are going through this letter, because it's written for you and I too, he doesn't want us to miss that Jesus is over all. And he is in all. And he's through all. And he is our all in all. When was the last time you sang He is all I need. Jesus is all I need. And truly know it. Because when you really know it, you're going to see such a calm and a peace and an understanding and a freedom. And that's why Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Heavenly Father, help us to know we have God in made. Jesus is enough. And may we constantly be reminded and may our heart be enlightened to the truth of God's word that we will stay focusing on what Paul said we are in Christ Jesus in verses 3 through 14. Father, may we never forget that. May we stay fresh and alive may we not be like this church that eventually just forgets and they lose their sparkle father may we never lose that light of jesus we pray this all in his name amen